0: Shooter ready, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Today, our special guest is Mike Keevil, and he's going to help us talk about the differences in competitive shooting and tactical shooting. We really hope you guys like the episode, and we really look forward to doing more for you in the future. As always, stay safe out there and shoot fast. Don't suck. Hey guys, what's going on? And welcome to the first ever episode of the Blue Green Alliance podcast. So we got an interesting group with us today. Uh, Myself, Josh, uh, co-owner Blue Green Alliance, along with Gabe and our special guest, Mike. Uh, Gabe, go ahead and kick off a little bit how we all know each other.
1: Yep. So me and Mike actually met in 2016 at the uh, reconnaissance challenge that is held around every May on Camp Pendleton, which is a it's a two man, thirty to thirty-five mile race with fifty pound packs, rifles, and just various obstacles. It takes anywhere from eight to twelve hours. And the uh the big thing for the race though is you're carrying the name of a fallen reconnaissance brother for the unit that you're running for, or something that you knew in commemoration. Um, so Mike actually met me when I was kind of falling behind with my partner and myself and then Mike Saw us on the obstacle course, and then fortunately, we, we passed Mike so we, we could talk shit later to him. Um, but fast forward, you know, nine months and I, he texted me, He's like, Hey, man, like, I'm coming out to Okinawa, I'm, I'm taking a platoon of recon marines out there, and I was already out there. I was like, Oh, yeah, man, coming out to Okatraz, I'll let you know all the terrible things about the rock and what there is to do. And he came out, and while we were doing like different training, I was doing the end of a mew um, and then switching to a different platoon, we started to integrate and work together, and really brought like another level of training that hadn't been done before just because we had an unparalleled latitude of freedom for different styles of training, which then led into a lot of drunken barracks discussions about you know where we are now, actually, about some different types of shooting, competitive versus tactical, uh, different ways of training Marines or training you know, federal, because Mike's on that side, and we'll get to that as well. But it really helped shape me in a different way to look at and think about training marines like moving forward in my career
0: so mike tell us a little bit about how, how that relationship started in uh in japan
2: yeah i mean so i was uh what was funny is walking through the halls of a uh, third recon battalion um there you know there's photos of platoons that have been there uh you know from i mean back into the the battalion's inception And, um, the last time I was there was 2011 and, um, at the time, very bad, uh, command climate and, and there was nothing from my platoon, uh, that, that was on those walls. And, um, that was the last combat tour of, uh, GWAT for the battalion. And, um, so going back to, you know, training Marines and history and lineage, um, I made a decision to, you know, put our platoon photo up on there the, the second time I went out. And uh, to Gabe's point, you know, the freedom to train and, and do what you want to do, how you want to do it is 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 not common nowadays. And that was that was the command climate in 20, uh, you know, 16, 17, 18. I mean, incredible senior enlisted advisors incredible sergeant major, you know, great officers, they, they not only uh, got us uh, good work, but they, they gave us the opportunity to explore different ways of, of increasing uh, proficiency at the platoon level. Um, so Gabe and I linked up um, and just started working together. And then uh, I left. Um, and then I found out that he was going to a Uh, training cadre. um, And I went back to the training cadre that I had been with. um, And we just decided, why don't we get all our friends
0: together and and just see what happens? So that's what we did uh, last year. Awesome. Yeah. And then I tie into this whole story. Gabe and I fast forward a little bit to uh, earlier or actually last year in the summer of 2019. uh, Gabe's Gabe, uh, SOTG was running a package for my platoon that I'm currently in, and uh, you know I'm looking at this new program. I had done you know nine and a half years of shooting in the Marine Corps. I've seen it all, right? Thought I was pretty good at at what I what I could do and and what I knew how to do, and then uh, I think this new program you know, really humbled me. And that's where Gabe came in. Gabe was running the program at the time. And, uh, you know, I saw it and I said, man, this is, this is pretty awesome. Let's, let's move forward with this and let's, let's take this to other people. Let's get this out there to the, to the law enforcement guys, to civilians. Like this is a, a pretty good gym that we want to get out there. And that's kind of where I tied in. And then, you know, I really only meet Mike, you know, a, m- a month ago, uh, finally after, you know, a lot of, a lot of help mentoring uh, myself, you know, just do social media online. You know, finally got a chance to meet Mike, and uh, it's been a great, great experience so far. So let's get into our topic of the day, which Gabe kind of already briefly touched on: is is you know, competition shooting versus tactical shooting, and how they either complement or don't complement each other. Gabe, uh, you kind of want to get us started here on 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 what you think here?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the biggest thing when you have these conversations, and it really stems from like. Older Marines and older generations of people that you have this conversation, like, oh, competitive shooting is just people just running around shooting super fast and there's no tactics in it. And once you start peeling back the layers and start looking at it objectively and understanding how to use your brain properly for once, it's shooting is shooting. Like, how you operate that gun, which is a machine, is no different whether you're in a foreign country fighting a, a force or if you're running a stage. You're going to pull the trigger the same. You're going to hold that gun the same. You're going to use those sights the same. And the application of that is where you start to really shift from a competitive environment or
2: a, you know, a tactical application. I think it, 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 it's even before that. It's, it's the preparation. It's the rehearsals. It's the, um, the execution of those rehearsals, rehearsals is all exactly the same. It's just in one environment. I may or may not get to do this to another person. In the other one, I'm enjoying myself on a Sunday afternoon, uh, hanging out with my friends and and shooting. Um, at a glance, it looks like these dudes are just, they're blasting away as fa- as, as fast and as hard as they can. And they are. But the, the thing is, is they're actually like really accurate, you know, um, by percentage, which is something that is, different in uh, in traditional military law enforcement settings where every shot must be a no-fail shot but that's just not reality and
1: so not to divert off of that but you talked about this with me i think last week two weeks ago where in a uspsa environment idpa environment if you completely miss the target and you know you add 10 seconds of time or 10 points to your overall time and in a military scoring environment if you're off target it's okay you, you lose two points and or, so, yeah, just well, well, you
0: know, but I'll kind of, I'd like to add to that, though. But I mean, your course, you missed two targets in 10 weeks. You're you're done like bye. ceiling. And, you and so I'm
1: talking just for a, a, a flat range, you know, qualification esque. You're not talking house tactics. Yes, that that does change it a bit. But we're talking about on a flat bay. You're, you know, predominantly you're standing on line and you're shooting at a target and you're doing this qualification and you miss the target completely. and It's no harm, no foul. And now we're going to say that we are the professional warfighters of this organization. and We pride ourselves on being surgical shooters. You can't see my air quotations right now.
0: The annual rifle range where you have a five foot wide target. And if you miss it, you only get minus five points out of the you know, possible 250. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. And it's
1: these guys that run around on Sunday that we want to talk shit about have a heavier weight for that penalty than we do and it really makes you you, you have to stop and think and be like oh, are we fucked up or are they fucked up and it, I, it's not them i can guarantee you because if you had that kind of penalty for everything we did people would take it a lot more seriously
2: yeah um it it's context right uh you know because josh you mentioned something in in relation to uh, working in the house, right? And, and that is something that we, we go back and forth about uh, all the time. What is, what is realistic expectations for the type of shooter we can build within the time frame allotted to us, right? Which isn't a lot of time. Um, so the context portion of why am I pulling this trigger, that is the difference between competitive and tactical shooting. But... The training, the
0: everything leading up to that, is the same. So, what's the disconnect then with either law enforcement or military and the competitive shooting world? Like, why is this? Why is this belief even a thing? Ego. uh,
2: Pure ego. Um, And and this this is the best example, right? Uh, If you work at a, a training center. Um, schoolhouse, academy, whatever you want to call it, um, and and you work in firearms, and you say, hey, I'm going to bring this competitive shooter in, uh, he was never a cop, never in the military, but this guy is like the fastest, most accurate dude I know, um, people will laugh at you, right? But at the same time, if you say, hey, this guy, he's an unknown uh, UFC fighter, but... He's he he competes you know at the at the lower tiers. Everyone's like, oh yeah, man, bring that guy in, right? Nobody wants to fight a even a semi pro fighter um, uh, under any circumstance. Point. Under any circumstance, but all of a sudden you talk about competitive shooting, they're like, oh well, he's just playing a game, guys. Um, it, it's ego. It's absurd. Um, yeah.
0: So how do we, Gabe? How do we, you know? What are we doing to change this? I mean, how are we able to bridge this gap? Because th- those are great points, Mike. So that I have actually, until this podcast, I've never heard. Is yeah, that's <laughs> the UFC fighter thing? That's absolutely hundred percent true. Anybody that even trains a little bit, you don't want to mess with at a bar one night. I mean, let alone you know, same thing with the shooting. I mean, you have a weapon system. Uh, so yeah, Gabe, what are we kind of doing to to bridge that gap a little bit?
1: And I mean, to his point too, for for ego, you talk to these these professional war fighters, quote unquote. And you ask them, okay, like, what's your, what's your draw fire one? Or what's your, you know, up ready one with a rifle at 50 yards? And they just look at you and they, they have no idea because one, they've never been asked to equate their skills to time. They're just like, oh no, I can, I can get in the black. I'm like, cool, man, but you get in the black in 12 seconds. And that's an absurd amount of time when you're talking about warfighting now. Um, so I think like, predominantly that the weapons manipulation and I'll try not to go like and lose this too much is one of the biggest differences of competitive tactical though is what people say is the, the mindset or the environment or the atmosphere, the, the physiological stressors of, of combat and how to, how to try to apply that in training. And if anyone ever does any, you know, reading for, you know, neurological development or functions like that is they should understand that if you can get all of these, these, muscle movements, so weapon manipulations, whether it's a rifle or a pistol or whatever it is to a subconscious, conscious level, that the environment you're in doesn't matter anymore because it's, it's a subconscious task, which now allows your cognitive capabilities to take in the information and process, and then you can react from that. Uh, most of us know what OODA Loop is, and you apply it there. And I think that's the biggest gap. And so understanding that coming into like our training environment or... Something like this is we're going to get all these manipulations to a second nature and then we're going to give you these other environments to apply them into, which now is no different than the competitive world where they're doing all these manipulations as well. And now there's put on time and saying, hey, you need to be as accurate as possible and also, hey, you have to be as fast as possible to beat everyone else. So people will hum and ha and they'll say, well, you know, it's not the same, you know, when you're getting shot at. But as far as I know, there's not a single unit in the DOD that gets on a flat bay and shoots back at their students while they're shooting down range. So you can't replicate that anyways.
2: You know, I'll say this, like the and this isn't the same for everyone. It was for me. uh, But the adrenaline drop I get uh, right before the first stage of every match I shoot even to this day is the same uh right before I got uh right before mission and um and, and it was exciting right i I missed that sensation but, The whole like this is the other thing that competitive shooters do differently. Um, The whole train like you fight concept um, or, you know, I I need to do the same motion over and over and over again to develop muscle memory so I can I can do this under stress and gross motor skills versus fine motor skills that are slow, smooth, smooth as fast. Right. Some other like whimsical, uh, cute catchphrase that like instructors will say, well, I've never met a guy who crushed something and said, "Man, my muscle memory really put out today." Like it saved me. More often than not, a guy will mess something up and I'm like, "Hey, dude, why'd you do that?" "Ah, muscle memory." That is that is a typical phrase. They and and it's they say that instead of just saying
0: one, either I made a mistake or two, I'm just not very good right now. Um yeah, I think that's like going back to ego. That's one of the biggest reasons, you know, guys have a hard time just admitting When they just didn't shoot well, right? Like they just, Hey, you just, or they don't ever want to admit just maybe how good of a shooter they, they maybe aren't, you know, like it's tough to swallow that pill sometimes when you, when we talk about, you know, your relation to really what the world's best shooter is. I mean, it's, it's hard to swallow sometimes, but not even the world's best shooter, the world's
2: best shooter. You, you can look at, you look at high B class and a class shooters in USPSA, they, they will, they will crush, uh, Anybody in the DOD who doesn't doesn't shoot anything competitively
0: easily, you know, and kind of bridging that gap a little bit, too, with the, you know, competition with and tactical shooting. I mean, I, I'd like to go back to my first competition that I recently shot and the conversation we had there about BAMSIS. Right. I mean, I looked at you in the middle of that that competition. I go, Mike, we're we're doing BAMSIS. And for, for those of you at home that don't know, that don't know, this, this is a little acronym we use in the Marine Corps. It's begin planning, arrange recon, make recon, complete the planning, issue the orders and supervise. Right. And it was like, I looked at, I looked at Mike and I was like, dude, we're, 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 we're rehearsing. We're, we're walking through our stage ahead of time. We're coming up with a plan. We're going out there, we're executing the plan. And then we're debriefing ourselves and getting ready for the next stage. Like it was a huge, in my opinion, it was like, you know, that whole process just in, in 15 minutes though. And it really made me think about, wow, like this is definitely something that, that is easily applicable to, to the military or LE side of the house when it comes to, you know, our planning process. Yes, it, um, but more than that,
2: it forces you to have to process what is happening faster than you're accustomed to. When, when you start getting into competition, like in the beginning, you finish a stage and your brain, you feel it, you feel your brain still running. And then it takes like a second or two. And and now like everything's all cut up, caught up and you're back in sync, you know, mind and body, uh, you know, as you sh- again, even even B and, you know, A and B class shooters like they are really good. And it's that it's that time under tension in that environment that forces you to process faster. And that's been one of the the. The coolest things that I've seen entering the competitive shooting circuits and then also still uh, working in a tactical environment where I am I am processing faster when I'm in the house. I am uh, I'm reacting faster, but I'm also able to predict what's happening faster and, and flow off of teammates better.
0: So, Gabe, kind of talking about how we're bridging this gap like really between you know the two communities and and kind of the you know the program that we run here at blue green alliance and and what you're running at at s o t g like how how are we approaching this in order to kinda you know go forward and a in a little bit better in preparing our guys for going down range mm, let me let me think about that one for a second because making our shooters effective is the number one goal
1: so i mean <laughs> Definitely with what we're doing with Blue Green Alliance and with the program SOTG is like everything starts out with dry fire because it's massive that you get these manipulations down to a subconscious, conscious level. And I, there's a lot of good books out there. Uh, I don't have the author, but one is Performance Cortex. And it starts to really talk about like, the neurological like, functions of the brain for response times. And they use uh, Major League Baseball pitchers. Um, because the Major League Baseball is one of the most neurologically demanding sports from throwing a ball to hitting the ball. Um, various other tasks for the use for their measurements and for for developments there. But having our students understand, hey, these are your manipulations and we need to get you better at these and make you not think about these, which goes to Mike's point now it gives them the bandwidth to be able to process information. Uh, The other part of that is we're stepping away from the linear training progression that really like our current school system uses, every branch of the military uses, and I think most corporations still probably use where there's this phrase called, you know, block silo training, where if you want to think about it like a, a grain silo or a skyscraper where they give you, you know, one piece of information and you learn that and they give you the next piece and the next piece and the next piece. And. You're built up in a very rigid, structured manner to do, you know, one, two, or three things very, very well. But as soon as we ask you to try to do something else or be flexible, you... Generally fail, or you really struggle to try to develop that. So the new program that we're we're running is another phrase for this is kind of constraints of training. Which if you think about like a a field with a you know fences and the, the four fence posts is we put you inside that field and now you're you're in there and, and you're figuring out for yourself. You're living the experience of training.
2: Yeah, I mean. The constraints led approach, um, you you are setting up the student to come to the logical conclusion on their own without you having to tell them. So by using that method, you can really layer in multiple skill sets, um, the, and, and they are executing over and over and over again, and they have no idea that they're doing um, all of these all of these tasks uh, because you didn't make it the focus and you just, um, I don't know, put in a vision barrier, for an example. Um, we don't talk about cover for weeks uh, in the course, Um we also start with movement day one, whereas you you look at what a shooter is doing either by the end of day two in the the BGA program, uh, which is a condensed version of what of what is run at SOTG and you know other you know federal law enforcement training centers. Um, at the end of week one, you are having the shooter do essentially three weeks of. Block silo training, right? Um, just with a simple array of you know near and far targets, uh, vision barriers, forcing movement, forcing weapons manipulation in close in close proximity um, to objects. It, it is literally three weeks of training you can condense into one, and the shooter doesn't even know that they are they are doing all of these things.
1: So, good example is the course we just ran in, in uh, Casagrande. Arizona, we were really fortunate to have uh, Recoil senior editor Tom Marshall come out, and we were we were talking on the second day towards the end of it, and one of the conversations we had was you know the things that we were asking them to do during the course. He's like, well, you know, we covered you know multiple targets, multiple tar- uh, multiple rounds, different engagements, you know, limited exposure shooting. I was like, well think everything else you did though that I didn't ask you to do though was, you know, linear movement, lateral movements, reloads, draws, you know, utilizing cover and concealment. Like you did hundreds of reps of things that I didn't even ask you to do, but you still were doing and getting more proficient at. And that, that's a big part of the constraints is I'm having you focus on a few things, but allowing you to do a multitude of other things and gain proficiency on your own. Cause we all know that when you figure something out on your own. That sticks with you much, much longer than being force-fed something and just trying to retain it for tests or anything in the military where it's just this fire hose of information to retain and then regurgitate a
2: short time later for some type of academic test. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the entire... D.O.D. education philosophy and you're going to cram this information in. You're going to take a test and you're going to data dump it. Uh, What I thought was interesting in dive school was, I mean, it's what, over 400 note cards. Um, And even if you're not a note card guy, you become a note card guy at dive school. And uh, it's over 400 note cards and you're just going through it over and over and over and over again. And then you pass all the tests. You finally get to the combatant diver you know, Drager phase, and they're like, oh, hey, uh, here are the emergency procedures. Like, you really need to know these because it can save your life, or your teammate's life. Like, no bullshit, so you need to know these. And all I thought about was... Why the fuck haven't they been giving me this since day one? Because this is like real. Like, okay, I get it. Like the, the science of gas and bubbles and stuff that I don't even remember right now. That doesn't matter. Uh, like we, we just wasted weeks learning that stuff you versus know about all the plural spaces in your lungs. All the spaces. Um, no, I need to know how to do EPs on you so I can save your life. <laughs> anyway. Um,
0: just
1: to reiterate, some people aren't really understanding the linear training progression to using a, you know, a weightlifting CrossFit you know, functionality definition is if you take someone into the gym and you have them start deadlifting and then they've never deadlifted before, you, you show them how, you know, hey, this is proper form, this is how you hold the bar, they start lifting and then they're going to lift, they're going to lift, they're going to lift. And as, as a new lifter, they generally have a lot of gains and improvement. Very rapidly, their body is very receptive to you know putting on muscle getting stronger, and it's really not a big deal. So, you're seeing the rise in this line now of them steadily getting better, but essentially, you're going to get to this plateau where an individual can keep trying to do you know the five by five or any type of different coaching program for him to get better, but. It's, it's incremental at that point and he needs professional help probably to break through that plateau to continue going on up. And so you have this line that's, that's gone up and then plateaued and maybe gone up a little bit more than plateaued. And what we're talking about this constraints led training is more of a, an open area where there's a few things going on and you're just hitting those few things over and over again. And then you just make it a little that open area a little bit bigger. You add a few more things and you're still covering everything, but you don't know you're covering all that at once. Yeah, so with these with these experiences that I've I've had now with meeting Mike and at the challenge and then going out to his training facility in New Jersey, uh, coming to work at SOTG, meeting up with Josh to form Blue Green Alliance to provide this performance based shooting program for you know Ellie Mill if they want to come to us or we can go to them and any law abiding citizen has been a pretty cool experience that you know, if it's a two day or three day program, which we, we offer both to be able to take our students from doing single round, single target engagements to multiple round, multiple target engagements, limited exposure, angles and defilade, utilizing cover concealment, which we had another one of our guys tell us at this last course we ran that he's had to go to four or five courses in the past just to hit all of that. And we had another individual talking about how he's He's got a a sub one second from concealment draw, and he's done all these other drills. And I believed him, but I think it's because he spent months and months training for that specific activity and not for being a well-rounded performance-based shooter where I can take someone like Mike and I can give him a brand new drill. I'm like, hey, I want you to do this. And he's going to crush it because he has the fundamentals down and can just perform on demand, which is what I think anyone needs to do now for any any environment, for mill, LE, civilians, self-defense it's it's not something you can sit there and have canned and train for over and over again um look at any of these active shooters it's like no one knows it's going to happen but when it does happen you need to be able to react to it and not at a you're on the range you're warmed up ready to go primed it's hey this is a cold start and you got to get you got to know what you're doing and at blue green alliance like that's what we're trying to do we're trying to give you this training that is going to sharpen your skills and give you this baseline of performance for you to take home. We're going to give you the material. We're not going to hold anything back and keep all our secrets, but we'll give you material so you can train on your own. So you can be better for it, you know, at, at the end of our training and then going forward as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us, Mike, really appreciate you coming out for this, uh, for this episode. Um, it's, uh, it's been exciting this journey so far, you know, it's, we're still pretty young. We're having a good time. We're, we're, we're doing different things and, and uh, yeah, you know, we hope to see you guys at one of our future courses and uh, you know, just making each other better each day. So uh, thanks again, guys. And uh, we'll see you guys on the other side.